you have your Bible, please stand up and hold your Bible above your head and bear witness of God's Word. Also show it to those around you. Let them know this will be the authority that we use today. We could come to this place and we could tell some stories. We could talk about some philosophy. We could have some opinions and we wouldn't leave here changed at all because all those things are originated by man. But when we look at the Word of God and know that the Word of God is truth and it's originated with God, we can leave here changed today. That's why we use the Word of God as our authority. The Bible is important. It's not something, you know, there's a lot of people that couldn't be having services today because they would have to put something on a screen and read it because they're not used to reading their Bible. But your Bible needs to be your sword, your tool. You need to be acquainted with it. We're going to get acquainted with it today. You may be seated. There's several places I want you to turn today. I love the stories in the Bible. The stories are given to us for examples. God doesn't just give a story because he thinks this will be something nice to put in one of those books you put in the doctor's office to read while you're waiting for your appointment. The stories in the Bible all have a reason. They're impactful. We're supposed to apply them to our lives. And so I want to keep it simple today and keep us in one section. So we'll be in the book of Luke today. We'll be in Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 18, and Luke chapter 23. I see you writing, so that's Luke 5, 7, 15, 18, and 23. I'll be timely with these stories. I want you to see how God's Word supports what we're going to talk about today. Turn to Luke 5. Thank you, Lord, for the breeze. Doesn't it feel good this morning? Amen. In Luke chapter 5, we see the ministry of Jesus begin. We realize in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days. He left there and started his ministry. He was tempted, but he didn't give in to temptation. He started his ministry. He began to heal people. He began to preach the messages that God had him preach. And so we see the ministry of Jesus begin. But then there was a following People wanted to hear what this man had to say because he spoke with such authority. He was the Son of God. And so as he spoke with those, that authority and healed people, people began to gather around him and flock around him. And one day, as he was going down by the lake of Genesaret, the crowd was so big that he, he saw some fishermen there, Peter being one of them. It's called Simon in the story. And they had just finished a long night of fishing where they didn't catch any fish. So do you think their attitude was good? Has anybody ever went fishing but didn't catch fish? We do that all, time, all the time through life, right? We go fishing but don't catch fish. I know some of you personally go a lot and don't catch fish, but we won't talk about that, right? But I'm talking about this was their livelihood. It's not like they were going for fun. They were going because it was their livelihood. And they were washing their nets and cleaning their nets up after a fruitless night of fishing and Jesus goes to Simon and says, Simon, can I borrow your boat? I want to get out in the water where I can speak to all these people. Now understand, they had just finished a night of fruitless fishing. And so, incredibly, Simon agrees. They're washing the nets. They're in the middle of work. They're busy. But Simon's obedient. Read with me Luke chapter 5. 
It says, and it came to pass, that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Genesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and he talked to people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, that means when he was through speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let your nets down for this drought, this catch of fish that you're going to get. Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their nets break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. You see, something extraordinary happened. After Peter was obedient, to Jesus' request. Jesus had another request that went against everything that Peter would have thought. Hey, listen, you might not know this, preacher man, but we've been fishing in that spot all night and we've caught nothing. As a matter of fact, the nets are clean. We don't even need to go back out. No, we can't, but if you say it, we will. And they went out and they fished. When they put their nets down, they caught so many fish, the nets wouldn't hold them. They had to call to the other ships. It was the greatest catch of fish. And you think to yourself, at this point, here's where our sermons begin. And we think that because Peter was obedient to stop what he was doing and let Jesus use the boat unselfishly, because Peter was obedient to go out and fish in a place where he had fished already and hadn't caught anything, for that reason, Jesus blessed him. And that's where we stop our sermon. He blessed him because he's obedient to him. Well, being obedient to God is important. But in this story, we see something greater. You see, when we begin to read verses 8 and 9, I see something amazing. They stand out to me, and I want you to see it. Verses 8, the Bible says, When Simon Peter saw it, when he saw that great catch of fish, Then he was directing everybody to do what they needed to do and get these nets and have all these people come here. Let's get the fish so they're fresh. Does it say that he did all that? No. What did he do? The Bible says he fell. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished at all that were with him, the the amount of fish which they had taken. You see, At this point in time, Peter wasn't thinking this great thing happened because I agreed to let Jesus use my boat. He wasn't thinking this happened because I was willing to be obedient to Jesus and go fish where I'd already fished. He fell down at Jesus' knees and said, depart from me, meaning I'm not worthy to even be around you. I'm a sinful man. What was Peter saying to Jesus? Peter was saying this, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve what's happening. I don't even deserve to be blessed like this. I don't deserve this. Peter had an attitude of, I don't deserve it. An attitude of, I don't deserve it. And I want you to repeat that with me today. He had an attitude of what? Say it louder. I want you to say it louder because we never hear that today. All we hear is an attitude of, I deserve it. You don't have to go very far 
You don't have to turn to too many channels before you hear somebody campaigning about something that they deserve. But I don't want to stop at Peter. I want you to turn a couple of chapters over. In the book of Luke, chapter 7, the next story. In Luke, chapter 7, as Jesus was teaching again, he encountered another situation. This situation started with a man that they described as the centurion. Now, a centurion was a Roman soldier, but not just a Roman soldier. He was a Roman soldier with authority. The fact that he was a centurion mean that he had authority over at least a hundred other soldiers. So he was in an authority position. Read the story with me, please. Luke 7, verse 2. And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, this means when the centurion heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loves our nation, and he's built us a synagogue. And then Jesus went with them. And when he was now not far from the house... The centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou should come and enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come to thee, but I say in word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and another, Come, and he comes. And to my servant, I can say, Do this or do that. And he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And he turned about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. There was a miracle done here. Jesus was able to heal the servant of the centurion. And I want you to notice a couple of things, very important things. The centurion was not a typical centurion. Number one, he had a servant, a slave, that was dear to him. Typically, slaves were not dear to Roman soldiers or anyone in authority. The next thing that we see that's untypical is that when this centurion heard that Jesus was coming, he asked the Jewish elders to go to Jesus and ask Jesus to come and heal his servants. So the thing that's not normal is Roman soldiers didn't believe in Jesus' power to heal. Do we see that that's not normal? First of all, who would have found a soldier compassionate enough to plead for the life of his servant? And then to believe that this man Jesus, who was a Jew, could heal him. And then the next thing that's untypical is that he sent Jewish elders to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, the centurion, we come to speak on his behalf. He has a servant that needs to be healed. Now note this, and I think it's neat when you look at it this way. You have to understand, the Jewish elders and the Roman soldiers, especially a centurion, wouldn't even had a relationship. But more than that, they wouldn't have done the centurion's bidding for him. They wouldn't have went to Jesus on his behalf, and he wouldn't have asked them. So it's untypical that he believed. It's untypical that they went on his behalf. It's untypical that he asked them. 
So these Jewish elders went to Jesus and pleaded for him to come and heal the centurion's servant. And they gave Jesus a reason. And I think this is the neat part of this story. When you get to these verses, you'll see they gave Jesus a reason that he should help the centurion. Verse 4, when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom we should do this. They were saying, Jesus, we have a man that deserves for you to come and help him. Did you hear what I said? They were saying, he deserves it. And then they gave him the reasons. They said, not only is he good to us, he helped build us a synagogue. So because of that, we need to go and do something for him for, because of what he's done. He deserves it. Now, interesting. They were giving the reason for Jesus to bless this man. I'm going to ask you and challenge you to think a little deeper than you normally would today. When we go to God, we petition God. Doesn't it make us feel more confident if we can throw a reason in there also? Doesn't it? God, if you can do this, then this will happen. Or you should do this because this has happened. You see, the things that made this centurion different, the compassionate nature, the fact that he cared for his servant, that he believed Jesus could heal his servant, that he respected the Jews and was respected by the Jews, that he had something to do with the synagogue being built. Is this the reason Jesus went on his way to the centurion's house because he deserved it? Did he go and heal his man's servant because he deserved it? No. You see, verse 6, knowing that Jesus is omniscient, he knew what was going to happen. As Jesus went with these elders toward the house of the centurion, when he was getting close to the house, the Bible tells us in verse 6 that the centurion, who was at his house, sent some friends to Jesus to say, Trouble not thyself. Don't finish the trip. For I am not worthy for you to even enter my house. They were saying he was worthy. The centurion was saying, I don't deserve for you to come under my roof, Jesus. And then he sends the next message. You see, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house was one, but verse 7 says, I don't even feel worthy to stand in front of you. This is why I sent my friends. Not only am I not worthy to, to be in your presence, I'm not worthy to even ask you anything. And then if you read the rest like we have, you'll see that he begins to talk about the authority that he has. And you think, well, this is arrogant. No, he's trying to let Jesus know, I understand authority. I understand how this works. I'm a centurion. I have soldiers at my command. I'm authority over. I have slaves at my command. I'm an authority over. Why was he saying this? Because he finished by saying, I can tell them what to do, and they will do it. But Jesus, I'm asking you, believing that you can say it from right here, 
to this undeserving person. You can speak to my situation because you have authority over it. You see, what he was doing was putting himself under the authority of Jesus, no matter who he was. Why is this important? Well, in the first case, Peter said, I'm sinful. You don't even need to be doing this to me. So he realized that Jesus was holy and he wasn't. But the centurion, he realized something else. That Jesus was the authority and he wasn't. You see, it wasn't about who he was that made him deserve something. And that's the big message we hear today. It's who you are that makes you deserve something. That's how we're stacking people up against everybody else. We deserve this because we're this. We deserve this because we're this. We deserve this because this has happened to us. We deserve this because we've done this. This centurion had a different message. His message was, I don't deserve for you to even come to my house. I don't deserve for you to answer this prayer, but I believe that you have authority over everything. I put myself, who I am, under your authority. I not only cannot even come and kneel to you, I don't even feel worthy to come in your presence. This man wasn't boasting about his own authority. You see, no matter what authority that he had on this earth, he said, no matter what the elders told you that I had done good, no matter what I've done to help build them a synagogue, I don't deserve for you to help me. I don't even deserve to ask you. I love verse 9 because verse 9 tells us Jesus' reaction. It says Jesus marveled at this. That means he was absolutely amazed. He turned to the crowd. Now listen to this statement. If this is not an endorsement, listen to Jesus' statement. I have not found so great a faith in all Israel. Now bear in mind that the Roman centurion was not Jewish. He was not a Jew. He was not part of the children of Israel. And he had been in the area, in the territory, and he said, this is the greatest faith I have. Now why did he say it? Because it was a believing faith? Did he say it because the centurion believed that he could do it? You see, what I want to look at is what's so different about this centurion's faith than any of the other faith that Jesus had seen. It was a believing faith, but we've seen believing faith. Believing faith is essential, so don't leave here thinking it's not. But this man's faith was different because he recognized God's authority over him. He recognized God's authority over his situation. And he admitted, get this, that no matter who he was or what he had done, he didn't deserve it. This centurion, like Peter, had an attitude of I don't deserve it. I think this is important to see. In a society today that's so caught up in what we think we deserve, a society that's so caught up in who has authority over who. And to see how people have such an entitlement mentality thinking that they deserve this position. They deserve this wage. They deserve this kind of compensation. They deserve this kind of recognition. They deserve this kind of representation. You see, we carry this thought around in our minds and we judge something as fair or not based on what we think we deserve. Do you realize that we do that? subconsciously we judge 
based on what we think we deserve and what we think someone else deserves. It looks like I just shot you right between the eyes. If you agree with that, a head nod, anything will let me know I can go further with this. Do you find that you judge yourself based on this subconscious thought of I deserve it? I'm talking about down to even your reactions. I'm going to get upset about something because it didn't happen the way I think it should happen because I deserve for it to happen this way. Here I'm trying to do this and I just need a little rain and it won't even rain. I deserve for it to rain. I don't even deserve to have a yard. I've forgotten that part. I don't deserve to be able to go mow my yard. Why am I thinking I deserve the rain? What have I done? This bad attitude of I deserve it has run rampant. It's what you see, it's what you hear. It's what's causing people to, to get up and move to action. I deserve it. The centurion's faith was a statement of, I don't deserve it. It was a statement that I am unworthy and Jesus is worthy. He had faith, but his faith was coupled by his recognition of Jesus' authority. His focus was not on who he was. His focus was on who Jesus was. I did a little test with myself and thought about everything that had angered me, upset me, worried me, made me anxious. All those things were expectations that came from things that I thought I deserved. You said, oh, you, pastor, well, I want to incriminate me, so maybe you will pick up on it, right? Not that I've been great, but if I put effort or work into something, then I began to think I deserve the outcome, don't you? Of course you do, unless we're sitting here with people that say, no matter what I've done at work, I don't care what they pay me. And go ahead and let that guy get paid more. No, we look at what we think we deserve. We see how important this attitude of I don't deserve it is in Luke chapter 15. A couple of pages over, we see the story that we know as the prodigal son. Now you know the story. Can anybody relate to this story? He was a son of the father. He was entitled to all the Father had. If you're a child of God, then you can relate this with Father God. Anybody in here ever accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior? When you did, you became a child of God. That's the only way you could have become a child of God. It wasn't anything you did, but it wasn't anything that the Son did. The Son didn't choose to be a son of the Father. The Father made all the income, had all of his estate, the father were the one that had the flocks. He had the land. He had everything to give. The son didn't choose to be born to the father. He was just the son. But one day, 
he began to think, I want this and I want this and doggone it, I deserve it. I'm going to go out and take what I've got and I'm going to get what I deserve. So he left the Father. Any Christians in here ever left the Father to go get something that you thought you wanted? Then you can relate. Because the place that you end up was where he ended up at, in the pig pen. The Bible said when he was as low as he thought he could go, he was in the mar and the muck of the pig pen. He looked up and he thought to himself, Do not my father's servants have bread to eat and a place to live? And here I am feeding pigs. Do you know what happened to this man? This man had an attitude change. Right there in the mar and the muck. And sometimes it takes the mar and the muck. Sometimes it takes hard times. Sometimes it takes losing everything. Sometimes it takes getting to a place to where all you can do is think about what you don't deserve. Listen to his language as we see what he thought coming back to the Father. The Bible says in Luke 15, verse 18 and 19, his, this was his attitude. I will arise and go to my Father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Listen, and I am no more worthy to be called my son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Can you see an attitude change? What was the attitude change? The attitude change was this simple. He went from someone who thought he deserved it to someone who knew he didn't deserve it. Then he was ready to come back and fall in line and be a part of the family. And you know the grace of the Father said, Hey, listen, come on back. Here I am. Arms wide open. Kill the fatted calf. Put a ring on his finger. My son that was once gone is now back. And at the end of this story, we see the next issue because he had a brother that stayed. He had done everything that he thought the father wanted him to, but in the midst, midst of this situation, he began to determine that the brother that left doesn't deserve it. So he became ill, and the father went to him and reprimanded him and said, Listen, you've always been my son. This son came back. He deserves it because he repented. And then if you go to Luke chapter 18, and you read the story in verses 9 through 14. You see, this is a lot faster than you thought. I scared you when I began to say five places, right? In Luke chapter 18, we see this story. It can't be any more clear. Jesus speaks a parable. And he speaks this parable about the Pharisee and the publican. I want you to listen to the story. He says, beginning in verse 9, first of all, the Pharisee. The Pharisee, they were the religious sect of people that lived their life based on the law, but the legalisms of the law. The Pharisees were the people that Jesus criticized the most in the New Testament. Why? Because they saw themselves as over other people, that they deserved a closer fellowship with God because they were being obedient, others weren't. So they became their own judges. Jesus called them hypocrites, he called them snakes, he called them vipers. And he said a lot of other things. If you want to see who Jesus criticized the most, it was the Pharisees. Because they had an attitude that they did deserve it. As a matter of fact, they crucified Jesus because of who he was. 
He was someone claiming to be the Son of God, and they couldn't understand how someone that could come from Joseph could be the Son of God. And then you'll see later on the Pharisees, even as the gospel message went out, they were furious that the gospel was able to be shared with the Gentiles. That there was a gospel that said that other people, people that weren't part of the lineage that came across that Red Sea, they're going to be able to, to come to God through Jesus Christ. We reject this. If you don't believe it, go and read what Paul was doing before he got saved. What was he doing? He was campaigning because these other people didn't deserve it and this was a false religion because it let people come to God that didn't deserve it. So we have a Pharisee. And then we have a publican. A publican is a tax collector, but if you were to, to see in the Bible who he said was one of the chiefest of sinners and people knew, hey, a tax collector has to be a sinner because they were known for taking absorbent taxes, oppressing people, taking more money than the people had, cheating people. So there's no doubt this publican is the sinner. And the Pharisee is the one he thinks he isn't the sinner. Luke 18. Verse 9, and he spake this parable unto certain, which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. He spoke this parable unto certain. This means the Pharisees who trusted in themselves. What does that mean? They believed in how good they were, right? That means they deserve it. They believed they were righteous and despised others. Here's the parable, verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, to one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Let's stop at the end of verse 12. At this point, it's like he just gave God his resume, right? Surely, Surely you know who I am. I deserve for you to hear me. Here's what I do. In contrast, verse 13, the publican. And the publican standing afar off would not even lift up as much his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this is Jesus' words, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. That means brought down. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. This man that humbled himself and recognized that he was a sinner and didn't deserve it, so much so that he reminds me of the centurion. He reminds me of Peter. He stood afar off and he couldn't even lift up his eyes to God and he cried out to God and said, God, be merciful. What does mercy mean? I need you to do something for me that you shouldn't do. I need you to be kind to me when I don't deserve it. Be merciful to me. I am a sinner. What happened? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. He said, this man went down to his house justified. That means forgiven, restored. But the Pharisee didn't. What's the difference of these two men? One thought they deserved it. The other realized they didn't deserve it. 
If you move on to Luke chapter 23. You'll see a story that you may know. This story was when Jesus was hanging on the cross. Verses 39 through 43. He hung in between two thieves. And the thieves began to mock Jesus. Because he couldn't. If he claimed he was God, why couldn't he come down off of that cross? Now were the thieves guilty of what they did? Yes. They were criminals. They deserved to be crucified. Did Jesus? No, he didn't. And they were mocking him, but then one of the, one of the, it says male factors, one of those criminals on the cross had a change of heart. Verse 39. One of the male factors which were hanged, railed on him. That means started to mock him, accuse him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other, answering him, rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. Hey guys, this is huge. Here you have the thief, a lifetime sinner, never claiming to have known God, giving this powerful message. He looks at the one beside of him and says, Don't you realize we deserve this? He doesn't. But he believed in who Jesus was because then he turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want to admit my belief. I want to be with you when you come into your kingdom. And you know what he said? He said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. What was the difference in those two thieves? There was one that realized he didn't deserve. He didn't deserve to be taken off the cross and saved, but that Jesus could do it. Now, all these stories share a common thread. But it doesn't stop here. And I want to I incite you to, to go and read deeper into your word and go and look at these champions of God through the scripture. These champions that serve God in this way. Champions like Paul, who even when he was persecuted, said, I consider it a privilege to be persecuted for Christ. People like John, John the Baptist, if you were to read the book of Mark, you'll see that John said this. The people began to acknowledge John. They told John, hey, listen, are you the Messiah? You had this message. Are you the Messiah? John could have said, no, but I'm very important. I'm right along with him. He said, I came to speak on his behalf. Me and him are just like this. I'm his twice removed cousin. But he didn't. You know what John said? John said, I come to bear witness. Read verse 7 of Mark 1. You know what it'll tell you? He said, the man that I'm coming before, I'm not worthy to unlatch his sandals. 
I'm not worried that it unlashes sandals. What was John saying? I'm speaking to you as one that doesn't deserve to even be associated with him. You say, why are you pressing this point? Because this attitude of I don't deserve it was an attitude that God looked on, that God revered, that God rewarded. But on a personal level, when you look at all the people that had the attitude of I don't deserve it, you will see a people that are content, a people that are not worried, a people that are not anxious, a people that are not angry, not anxious, not fearful. Why? Because they're realizing anything they have, they don't deserve it anyway. This common thread with Peter, the centurion, the prodigal, the publican, the thief on the cross, John the Baptist, Paul, what did this allow them to do? You know, it's amazing. It's right here in front of us. This attitude of I don't deserve it actually allowed them to see God's supernatural hand at work in their life. And so I look back at these stories and what hit me right between the eyes was, hey, listen, I know that you have to have a believing faith and I have a believing faith, but how many times has my believing faith been coupled with what God can read in my mind with, I believe you can do it, but God sees that I really think I deserve it. And so because he saw that I thought I deserved it, I missed the miracle. I missed the fellowship. It didn't take me long to get right back to where I was. You see, they didn't think they deserved it. They didn't think they had it coming to them for what they had done. They saw themselves as sinners. And they saw Jesus as holy and without sin. They believed he had power to do the unexplainable, but admitted that they didn't even deserve to be in the same place with him, much less have him do such a miracle in their life. Their attitude was an attitude of I don't deserve it. I want you to think about something for a minute. For someone that thinks they deserve something, now if it makes you uncomfortable to think about yourself, think about somebody else. For somebody that thinks they deserve something, they think that it's by their effort or by their knowledge or by their position or who they are that entitles them to get whatever they get. So I, I began to think on this deeply and I want to ask you a couple of questions just so maybe that we can debunk this attitude that seems to take over our mind. How happy do you think a person really is when they get what they think they deserve? Now let that just settle in. When they get what they think they deserve. After all, they think they have it coming to them. They think it's because of who they are or what they've done. Now think about our natural mind. Even in an area where maybe you talk about work and you think, well, I got this raise because I did this and I did that and I should get it. So you were counting on it. You thought you had it coming. And when you get it, you're happy about it, but it's because you think you deserve it, right? Right? 
or you know that you're going to pay for that meal and because you're going to give them money and it comes out and it's right, yeah, it's a good meal, but it better have been a good meal because I deserve it, right? I paid for it. Think about this. That happiness you feel when you think you deserve something. How close are you? How close are you to being unhappy that you don't get it? Get this. All it takes is for it to change just a little bit. See, you're bordering on the brink of happiness thinking, yes, I got it, but you were right up to the minute thinking, if I don't get it, that's the worry part. We look at things that happen to us in situations, whether it be something the doctor tells us or some kind of financial issue. Maybe it's something else that we're struggling with in life and something's happened the way they wouldn't think and we stay upset, we stay anxious because in our mind we think, listen, I don't deserve this. We have this opinion of ourselves. And I think that when we keep fostering this opinion and we foster other people's opinion, I think it gets us to the place that we are today. You see, people that think they deserve something are, are usually judging what other people get. And they're upset that they got it because they think they deserve it more. Well, then you can throw in animosity. You can throw in resentment. You can throw in hate. You can throw in anger. And what's it all boiled down to? I have decided who deserves it and who doesn't. Today you even have people deciding what you can hear and what you can't. Why? They think they are in a position they deserve to judge. And it's all based on this strong thing in someone's mind that says, I deserve it. Can you imagine the gratefulness that would be displayed if we had an attitude of I don't deserve it? You know, naturally, when you see a young person get to an age to where they've done some time at home and they get to adulthood, They'll remind their parents. What do you mean I can't do this? I'm this many years old. Can I get a witness? I'm this many years old, meaning I've done this kind of time in life, so I deserve to make my own decision. I didn't help you pay the mortgage, get the food, Keep the lights on. Pay for my medical care. Wipe my butt whenever I was a child. Clean me up. Give me medicine when I was sick. Send me here, send me there. But I deserve it now because I reached a certain age. Can you believe our mind gets to that point? That we actually think we deserve it. Now, you're thinking about young people. Well, let me ask the old people something. How many of you told your own parents that? Raise your hand. Come on, God's watching. See, we all get to this mindset of thinking we deserve because we've done this sort of, this portion of life. 
But do you understand, if you never get to the point of I don't deserve it, then you'll never be able to come into fellowship with God. Much less what we're seeing in society. You see, it would really be hard for a person to be happy and content if they have an attitude of I deserve it. But it's clear to see that God looks at us not only to see if we believe in His power to answer our prayers, our prayers of need and our prayers of want. It's not only that He sees that we believe in that power, it's important that He looks to see, to think if we deserve it or not. God can see things that we can't see in each other. This discontentment that we walk around with, even as Christians, when the job isn't going the way we think the job should go, when a relationship isn't going the way a relationship should go, when our health isn't going the way we think our health should go, we actually stay upset because we carry on this attitude of, I deserve it. You see, when we have an attitude of I deserve it, we miss what comes with the attitude of I don't deserve it, which is grace. The grace of God is an action shown that's undeserved. God's grace is what God gives us that we don't deserve. Grace. If there's only one thing that God wants us to notice in this life about Him, it would be His grace. It's throughout the Scriptures. You look in the Old Testament, He continues to remind them, did I not do this for you? Did I not come to you? Have I not rescued you? Can I not do this? He wanted to see His grace. You look in the New Testament, it's all through the New Testament. Paul even calls it in Galatians the gospel of grace. Our opportunity to be loved by God is by His grace. Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, we were what? Somebody say it. More than two people say it. Whisper it. Anybody believe you're a sinner? But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That is grace. Before we done anything for him, before we had done anything for him, Jesus died for us. We're able to have our sins forgiven and saved by His grace. Paul made sure we knew this in Ephesians 2. He said, for by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What is Paul trying to get them to understand there? Salvation? No, grace. You see, because if we come to God even as Christians and think that we deserve it because we said a prayer, we came from a family, or because we even decided that we were going to change, we're missing that we didn't even deserve to have that happen after we did it. You'll still keep thinking it's because of what you did, what I did. He said you weren't saved by works. No matter what you could do, couldn't save you, but by grace. I love it. What was he saying? He says, you need to come to me saying, I don't deserve it. And you need to leave me saying, I don't deserve it. But the, the everyday life we have, that ability after we're saved to have everyday fellowship with God, 
Think about the availability to pray. It's because of God's grace. Ephesians 1, 7, Paul said, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. The reason that we can even talk to God and fellowship with God is because he allows us to. Think about who we are coming to God. He set the world on its axis. He made your heart beat. At the same time, he's making the people around you's heart beat. At the same time, he's feeding the birds and the trees and the ants in the ground underneath you. And he says, yes, what do you have to say? Yes, I'll speak with you. You want me to do something? And then, you can't overlook this. We're, we're able to come to God and ask for help. Not just say, hey, God, but we're able to come to God and say we need help. In our time of need, we're able to talk to a God that can help us. Boy, he helped Peter. He helped Cornelius. He helped the prodigal. He helped the publican, didn't he? He helped the thief. It's beautiful. I, I read an example in scripture that says it so clearly Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace listen that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need anybody ever been to that throne of grace the throne of grace means you come there saying I don't what that's why it's called the throne of grace it's not the handout line. The handout line is not the throne of grace. The handout line is what everybody wants to go to that says, I've got it coming to me. You owe me this. I deserve it. Because of who I am or because of what I've done or because of what I've went through, then this is what you need to do. I deserve it. These people in the Bible that seem so content in their life that seemed so happy and fulfilled that saw God do miraculous things in their life they believed in God yes but it was their attitude of recognizing that they didn't deserve anything from God that let them live in the joy of recognizing that everything that God did in their life was an act of grace if we come to God if we believe in him if we accept his gift of salvation if we follow him if we trust him if we're obedient to him not because we have to, but because we get to. Then we can live this life with the joy that God intends us to have. What kind of attitude? An attitude of I don't deserve it. The next time that we find ourselves discontent, because understand, I'm speaking to Christians today, because our light isn't shining, because in the midst of us trying to shine, we still have animosity about what we think we deserve. Can you imagine if God's children would go out and shine the light of I don't deserve it in that meekness? Can you imagine if that affects people around you? Can you imagine if we had a society that said I'll be grateful with what I have instead of being upset about what I think I deserve. You see, it all starts with accepting the first gift of grace. I want to ask you today, 
if you've accepted the first gift of grace. God that created everything, the one and only true living God, loved you and does love you. Do you deserve that? Have you done anything against God? Anybody here done anything against God? But he still loves you. That same God wanted to show the sacrifice to me and you, so much so that he watched his son Jesus be mocked, beaten. He let people spit in his face. He let people beat the meat off the back of his son. They put him on a cross. They reviled him. They cursed him. And they killed him for me and you. Did I deserve that? But he gives me an opportunity to take that belief and that sacrifice and save my whole life. Because if I don't accept that and believe that and I think that I can make my own way, then this life is all I have. Why? Because I deserve hell. I deserve condemnation. You might come to me and say, hey, Pastor Mike, I know something you did in your past. I'm going to tell you, I probably did things a lot worse than that you don't even know. They told me for years, part of my past kept me from being a preacher. And I told them, I did things worse than that. I'll tell you at the beginning, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to stand here, have you sit here, listen to God's word coming and speaking out of something that I'm teaching. I don't deserve it. I'm the least of the least. Listen to what Paul said. I'm the least of the least. That's the mentality that God wants us to have. Or we're going to go through this life, even as Christians, complaining, resentful. Angry. Why? Because something has happened to us that we don't think we deserve. And even if you get what you've worked for, you're living so volatile that you're that close to being upset that you didn't get it or you're not going to get it. Whereas if you had an attitude of I don't deserve it, you could praise the living God for who he really is. A God that loved you and saved you. A God that gives you a chance today to wake up. If God gave me breath today, what do I want to do with that breath? I want to praise Him. I want to serve Him. And if He gives me another chance when I mess up, I want to take that chance. I want to repent. An attitude of I don't deserve it. Do you see what that would do? Not just to the world, but to us. You know, there's two things that we need to see in every message that, God's, that God has us here. Number one, we need to see God. Number two, we need to see ourselves. Now you've seen a living God, a loving God, that has freely allowed us to ask the Lord Jesus to come and take our sins away, that gave all these things to us that we don't deserve. You've seen Him. You've seen that He's full of grace. Now let's look at ourselves. Father God, I love you and I praise you and I ask you today, God, speak. Speak to hearts right now, Lord. If there's someone here that's lost, I pray for their salvation. I pray, God, that you would minister to them. Let them see their need to cry out to you today. I pray, God, that you would save them.
Lord, I pray that we can keep these examples in our mind, and I pray for Christians, my brothers and sisters, that are here today, Lord. Let us be able to examine our life right now, and Lord, listen to our prayers as we see ourselves for who we are. Let us leave here changed with this embedded in our mind and heart so that we can walk closer to you, so that we can experience the joy you want us to have in this life as your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you pray?